failure is the lesson. Failure is the growth. Learn to receive failure as a positive that you can reinvest in yourself and learn something new to then apply as you move forward. Welcome to Office Hours by Business Class from American Express. Each episode features innovative entrepreneurs and experts discussing how to navigate today's business challenges. That was Billy Porter, founder of Incog Negro Productions, Emmy, Grammy, and two-time Tony Award winner on fighting through failure, no matter how hard it feels. It's how Billy evolved into a boundary-breaking entertainer who recently launched his own production company, Incog Negro Productions. In this Office Hours episode, Billy told author and entrepreneur Sunil Gupta how he sustained the strength to embrace his unique voice, creating a career that could inspire others to soar for their dreams. Please note, the views expressed here belong to the guests interviewed and do not necessarily reflect those of American Express. Good morning. And hey, everybody joining us. We have people streaming in right now. We have with us for to kick off the brand new season of Office Hours, Billy Porter. Uh, I am your host, Sunil Gupta. I pinch myself every time I do this job because I love it so much because I get to talk to amazing people like Billy um, and have an honest conversation about what it's like to take an entrepreneurial journey. Um, Billy, as a lot of you know, is um, just, I mean, just, I had to write this down. Okay, ready? <laughs> Award-winning singer, director, composer, playwright, and author. Uh, to write all that down because I couldn't possibly memorize it. Um, so, Billy, I mean, maybe we begin there. Like, when you, were, when you were a kid, did you ever think that you would have all of those awards and hyphens next to your name? Uh... I had big dreams. You know, I grew up in poverty. I was blessed with this singing voice that was sort of, um, you know, I call it the original gift. Um, I sang in church and very quickly I realized that my voice was special. Um, you know, when I sang at school, the bullying stopped. Mm. When I sang in church, you know, the church people um, forgot about my queerness. Mm. Um, you know, my obvious queerness. Because <laughs> I was a little, I call myself a little church sissy. Um, so I knew there was power in that. Um, so I really started with the cultivating of the voice that then expanded into these other areas. I was introduced to musical theater in the sixth grade. Uh, at my middle school, they did a, a, a musical, Risenstein musical theater. And I was, and then I actually you know, a real turning point for me was seeing Jennifer Holliday on the Tony Awards. And that's when I made the connection that I could make a living with this voice. Mm -hmm. um, the award Word. part of it and the hyphenate part of it came later out of necessity. Mm. Was there a part of you that sort of felt like, all right, I'm exceptional at one thing. So now I feel like because I'm exceptional at that one thing, I can be exceptional at a lot of things. Yes. It's, I've never expressed it that way, but yes. I was like, if, you know, because in the market, the more things that you can master, the more you'll work the more spaces you can vibrate in, you know? And, you know, and the hard part about this business is that the business that I'm in is that it's, yeah, it's talent, but a lot of it is luck. Mm. A lot of it is right place at right time. You know, and I had a teacher in, in high school in the 12th grade, you know, one of my angels, 
couple of them who, you know, really steered me in that, you know, because in our culture, the arts being an artist wanting to do this is not respected. And so, and it's not a, it can be a trade job, right? You don't have to go to school to be an artist and, or you can go to school and learn the craft of it. And so I come from an educational background. So I went to school to study my craft because there was an angel beside me who said, you need to go to school and study your craft. As a matter of fact, her words were, you sing like, uh, you sing better than anybody I've ever heard. You dance like a dream. And every time you open up your mouth to speak, it's a disaster. Mm. You need to go somewhere and learn how to act. And if you do that, then you'll be a triple threat. You'll be well-rounded and you won't, you won't be caught unawares. You won't be out of work because you weren't prepared. You always have something to offer. Yes. You know, what's interesting is that, is that when I hear you describe your, your journey as an artist, and you and I have chatted before, we talked about your sort of your journey as an entrepreneur as well. There's a lot of similarities. I and mean, one of the things I'm picking up on is like, it seemed like people didn't take you seriously in your climb as an artist until you got to the top. And in a lot of ways, I think that that reflects the entrepreneurial journey as well. There's a lot of yeah. entrepreneurs out there that are just trying to make it, right? They're just trying to get themselves off the ground. And until they get to that point where they have traction, like where it's actually working, uh, a lot of people don't take them seriously. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what did you do during those moments? Like, how did you how did you respond when people said, come on, you can't Well, you know, it was very difficult to know inside of my heart and my soul that I was meant for greatness. I knew that, I understood that in every fiber of my being. And my work and my career for a long time was not reflecting that. And so it's hard to convince people on the outside <laughs> that that's what you are when in fact, that's not what they're seeing. And we also live in a world, we live in a microwave world hmm. where Everything needs to be instantaneous or it's invalid. Everything. And it was like that before the internet. It was like that before social media. And it's even worse now. You know, but what I understood, and one of the things that I will say about my training at Carnegie Mellon in the drama school was that they really taught me how to be an artist. They taught me how to live as an artist. I think that's the greatest thing I got from them because they taught the craft. It's about the craft. Are you an artist or do you want to be a star? Those are two completely separate things. They're not mutually exclusive because sometimes the byproduct of being extremely successful in the business that I'm in creates a space where you may become a celebrity, where you may become a household name, where you may become, that's a byproduct sometimes of what I do. But it cannot be the reason or the purpose if you're an artist. And I'm gonna say something and I don't mean to be shady because I'm not trying to be shady at all. But I call it Kardashianism. Once again, no shade. They are extremely amazing and exquisite business people. They are business people, right? And their whole purpose in this world, they've changed the way we see celebrity. 
you know, for a very long time, you had to actually be able to do something to be a celebrity. You actually had to have a talent or a skill to be a celebrity. The internet has created a space where all you have to do is show up and market and brand yourself. I think it's fascinating. You know, I think it's fascinating because the only thing that is constant in this life is change. They've changed the game. Yeah. So we, the people who actually have craft and have talent and have skill and have something to say, have to learn how to work inside of this new marketplace. Yeah. Well, you know, you said something really interesting before about being an artist versus being a star. In fact, Billy, I have your, I have your book and it's awesome. I've been reading it and that was actually one of the parts that stuck out to me is that you talked about the difference between being an artist and a star. It was in chapter 12. What, what, what does that mean to you? What, what is the difference? You know, the difference is, I, I had a mentor say to me, George C. Wolf, he said, um, you can't ever wait for anybody to give you permission to practice your art. You have to be doing it all the time, even when no one's listening. And most of the time, no one will be listening. The difference between being an artist to me, the difference between being an artist and a star slash celebrity is that I have to do this. I have to do this. It's my calling. It's my purpose. Dare I say my ministry. I come from the church. That's the language I use. It's my ministry. So I'm going to be doing it, whether anybody's listening or not. Whether anybody gets it or not. I will do it until the day I die, as long as I have breath in my body. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, Billy, you and I both, you know, grew up in religious households. I grew up in a Hindu household. There's a concept called Dharma, which is all about sort of like, what's that essence within you? That thing that you have to express and you have to share it with the outside world. You know, the thing that I think is hard for people, especially entrepreneurs, is taking that first leap, like making yeah. that first action and going all in. Like, what was that like for you when you said, all right, enough is enough. I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going all in. Everybody told me my queerness would be my liability. And I heard that from haters and allies alike. You know, really loving people who saw the market and saw the world and did not see me in it, right? There was no representation of me in it. Our teachers so often are mentors. Many of our teachers are mentors. The people who love us and the people who hate us, you know, don't understand when they see a first of something in their presence. We're all used to following. That's the natural order, right? I went to drama school and they taught me the classics. The classics for whom? 
white European old playwrights. Stuffy, Shakespeare, Moliere, Ibsen, you know, all of the all of the greats, the Greeks, all of the greats, right? Never once did anybody look at me and say, wow, you're so different, you could change the whole language. You could change the whole game. Let's put you over here and try to cultivate that. There's no real language or space or training for that. And like I said before, I knew something was inside of me, but I didn't know I was a first of something. Yeah. The He's audacity busy. to know that, the audacity, the, the courage, the bravery to be able to speak life into yourself. Because when you say something like that in the real world, people think you're conceited. You know, and growing up in the church, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and there was this rhetoric that they taught us where it was like, God gives you the gifts. And if you have hubris about it, if you're braggadocious about it, then God's going to take your gifts away from you. So you have to be humble. Okay. So there's that that's flowing through me for my whole life. Humility, 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 humility. I never want somebody to think that I'm not humble. But for so long, and I'm going to say up until like a year or so ago, I was conflating knowing my worth and being able to ground myself in that in real life so that I could take the necessary steps in my life with that old rhetoric. Yeah. And like I said, it's been recent where I've been able to say, you know what? I am worthy. I am worthy enough to know my worth and to tell you what my worth is, to move through life understanding my worth so I don't get taken advantage of anymore. So that I make steps that move me forward yeah. in my hopes and my dreams and my purpose. Yeah, you know, um, gosh, Billy, this is amazing stuff. You're reminding me of, a, of a, something that C.S. Lewis, the author, once said. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, right? You're just not, yeah. you're not, not in your own head. Yes. But at the same time, you're not, you're not diminishing your own self-worth. Yes. There have been a lot of comments and questions that have been coming in. And feel free, if you're watching right now, Put yours in. We're we're kind of opening this up as a community. You know, one of the questions that came in, Billy, is what do you say when aspiring entrepreneurs, people who haven't yet taken the leap but are but want to take the leap, when they come to you for advice, what do you say? You know, I had a very particular set of circumstances in my life where the trauma in my childhood was so acute and so constant that I had no other choice but to take the leap. I didn't have anything else but to take the leap. I always say take the leap. You got to take the leap. What are you waiting for? You can't, you got to take the leap. And I know that it's scary, but just leap and trust that the universe will take care of you. Speak life into yourself. Yes, I can. 
period. Yes, I can. Failure is the lesson. Failure is the growth. You will fail, whatever that means. I don't like that word, but whatever that means, fail, learn, to learn to receive failure as a positive. That you can reinvest in yourself and learn something new to then apply as you move forward. I feel like you've taken it next level, you know? I mean, I, I think we, we talk a lot about failure, you know, in today's society. And, you know, I believe, you know, I, I started three companies, two of them failed, one of them worked. The, the two that failed taught me the most, the one that worked paid the bills, but right. I look back at those two all the time. And, you know, the thing that I am inspired by, by your journey is that not only were you willing to fail, but you were willing to be yourself. Like you were willing to be who you are, you know, and, you know, that's hard. Like that, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing when everybody around you is doing it a certain way. Right. And you feel like that way is not for me. That is the entrepreneurial struggle in a lot of ways. It, well, it and let me, yeah, go let ahead. me just say, let me just to your point, let me just say, that what you're seeing now in terms of me living in the fullness of my authenticity took a lot of time. It wasn't simply this from the beginning, right? Talk about failure. I was always gay. I always knew it. I was never lying. I was never hiding but I was told that my queerness would be my liability and I was trained to take all the queerness out of my personage so I could work. So for the first 25 years of my career, I was trying to figure out how to be butch enough and, and be perceived masculine enough so that I could eat. Please understand there was a period of time where that was the goal. Because once again, that was all I saw. My dreams were springboarded off of something I already saw. I didn't see my black, queer, sassy self. And if I saw anything that looked like it, it generally came in the form of a white boy who was the best friend of some white girl who was the sassy best friend of some white girl. So I was, I was aiming for the middle. I was aiming for what was already there, right? I was aiming to be the best little gay on a Shonda Rhimes medical show so I could pay my bills, bank a lot of money and come back to Broadway and do Broadway shows because I had been on television. Like I never, I always dreamed that I would be successful, but I never dreamed that I could do it on my own terms. I never dreamed that my queerness would be the superpower, that my queerness would be the point. That has been magical. I mean, what, you know, what took you from seeing who you are as a liability to seeing it as an asset? The failure of my first record deal. It almost killed me. It was the first time in my life that my voice didn't save me. They were more interested in who would know, who would find out that I was gay. You know, it was the era of the 90s R&B singer. You know, Luther Vandross was the pinnacle and he was queer. And he died at 52. I just turned 53 yesterday. He died at 52 or two days ago. He died at 52. Nobody's talking about what killed him. That 
killed him. I'll say it out loud. I saw it. I saw what not being allowed to be your authentic self did to the people I loved, to the artists I loved. I saw it. And when my music, my first music career imploded, I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything they told me to do. I did. I showed up as straight as I could be. They made me think I was the biggest pansy on the planet. You know, I go back to my music videos. You could watch them now on YouTube. You know, uh, I, I had a music video for a song called Show Me, and I had a music video for a song called Borrow Time. And I go back, and I watch those now, and I'm like, I was good at playing straight. I was good at playing straight. And they made me think that I was just not worthy of living because I wasn't masculine enough to matter. And so when that fell apart and the trajectory of my Broadway career was also not going in the direction that I wanted it to because all they wanted me to do was show up and be a clown they wanted me to just show up and scream and holler and blow the roof off the joint. But there, were no, there was no connection to a human being. There were no stories. There were no human beings in connection with my talent. I was at a crossroads. And I moved out to LA because I had done a movie called The Broken Hearts Club. And it was a, you know, and it was the first, one of the first gay romantic comedies. And, uh, you know, I tour Greg Berlanti, it was his first thing. You know, you guys may not know him, but he has like 17 shows. He's like one of the biggest uh, show, show uh, television show creators in history. He's Shonda Rhimes. Uh, Ryan Murphy, he has like 17 television shows on the air right now at the same time. Um, I thought, oh, okay, I'm in this movie. Maybe Hollywood's ready for all this black boy joy. No, they weren't. Hmm. And I moved to Los Angeles and I um, lived there for almost three years. I had maybe five auditions. And it was a friend of mine, Bruce Cohen, a producer, Oscar award winner for American Beauty, who said, you know, you are so special and you're so individual and you're so specific and you're so singular that the world doesn't know what to do with you. And I heard that a million times already. But what came after is one of the things that changed me forever, where he said, can you write? And I was like, I don't know. And he would said, you should, you should think about that. And I had been doing a book at the time called, the, uh, a workbook called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I had been tinkering with writing you know, in secret and in, si in silence because I didn't, you know, I respect the craft of that so much that I didn't, you know, I was just, I didn't know. Um, but that launched me. And that day I went home. He told me about a program called the Professional Program in Screenwriting at UCLA. And um, I had already written a couple of episodes of like a black 
gay sex in the city that I had literally done in secret and nobody knew I had written. And so when he said that, it sparked something in me. And he said, this program. So I went home, I got online. Uh, the deadline for the application was the day before. I picked up the phone, I called the person, I got the lady on the, on the phone. And I said, I just heard about this program. W could you waive the, the lateness of this and, and let me apply? And she said, do you have a writing sample? I said, yes, I have two. And she said, could you bring them over? If you can bring them over today, I, I'll let you apply. And so I did. And the next day she called and I was accepted into the program. And that was the launch of the expansion, the enlargement of my territory. The fact that I can and should be at the helm of telling my own stories. This new generation has that because of the internet, because of social media, the world has evolved and everybody knows that they can generate their own, their story matters, right? I grew up, I'm the last of a generation of people who were taught to be brilliant interpreters of other people's material. Looking for new ways to keep up with the latest business trends and insights? Business Class from American Express is an educational resource to help today's business leaders adapt to the current economic environment. To view compelling stories, timely tips, and inspiring insights from industry experts, leaders, and street-savvy entrepreneurs, visit mx.co forward slash business class. So we got some questions coming in. The, the, the comments are lighting up here. People are loving everything about this. Um, you know, you've taken so many leaps. You just talked about the leap right now into acting. You talked about the leap into writing. I want to talk a little bit about the, the leap into entrepreneurship um, because, you, you know, you didn't come necessarily from a business background. And I, and I think that some of the people are, are wondering, like, how did you educate yourself on how to start a business? Well, that's interesting because I didn't educate myself on starting a business. I am the business. And it was only when, so I'll say this, I did Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way in 2000. And then in 2010, I did it again, but I did the business person's version. Mm the business version. And I knew somewhere in my brain that, okay, I am the business. I, me, I am the business. I have to figure out how to market myself. I have to figure out what I do and what I don't do. I have to figure out how to brand myself. I have to figure out how to do all of those things. And when I finally got kinky boots, and I won that Tony Award. I was like, okay, okay. I did it without even knowing, right? Because I said to myself in 2000, the only thing I can be is my authentic self. My big old sassy queer self. That's all I can be. So no matter where the chips fall, after choosing that, choosing myself, is what I'll be. So let me choose that first. Let me put one foot in front of the other and take the steps to be the greatest version of myself that I can be. And then we'll see. And what came of that was a lot of things leading up to Kinky Boots, but kink, Kinky Boots was the major world-renowned recognition validation of that choice that I made that unknowingly entrepreneurial choice that I made. I didn't know it was on an entrepreneurial cho choice till after. You know, but now I had the Tony and the Grammy and my sassy self 
to go, okay, what next? My sassy, queer, out loud and proud. I don't care what you think self. Now what comes next? How do I expand from here? The groundwork has been laid. You know, I was watching Oprah years and years ago, probably 20 years ago. And she had um, Ayanna Van Sant and Maya Angelou on and they were talking about service. And the whole idea was when you shift your intention to service, everything else will work itself out. So I was in alignment with that at the same time. Look at my work. I yeah. said, what does service look like for me? I asked myself in the mirror and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Your service is your queerness. Your service is what everybody's saying to you is your liability. That's your service. Nobody was coming for that service at that time. Nobody wanted it. I was bankrupt and unemployed. But I chose that service anyway. I chose it anyway. And now look at it. Everything that's happening to me is on my own terms. And because of my service, I stand at an intersection that is so much greater than I. I stand in a space that's so much greater than I, that's so much greater than my talent, that's so much greater than, you know, my fashion and my, it's greater than that. You know, there are young people on this planet there are old people on this planet. There are, there are people on this planet need to see what authenticity is and looks like so that they can have the courage. They need to see what being set free looks like yeah. so they can set themselves free and live their best life. That is the service. That is my service. Well, Billy, I mean, you know, it, first of all, I mean, I think people look at an industry that you're in right now and they don't think necessarily about service, right? It's, it can be, you know, the, the show business can be sort of pretty narcissistic. It can be pretty ego driven and, and, and you're coming at it from a completely different point of view. I mean, it, it is amazing for me how many times I hear entrepreneurs say that, you know, they came alive, their work came alive when they were able to make that shift from making it about me to making it about them. And it seems like the way that you did that was like just by not hiding who you actually are so that you could give other people permission to be who they are. Yeah. You know, that's exactly right. That's exactly what has happened. And, um, you know, as you can see, it makes me very emotional, you know, because I am so blessed and I am so grateful, you know, to have lived long enough to see this day, to see the day where the world has changed, the progress has happened in one of the one of the spaces I'm trying to speak from recently because we're all we're all living in this collective trauma that we've been living in for over half a decade now you know all over the world it's not just America it's all over the world We have to speak life into ourselves. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about service. We have to speak life into ourselves. You know, the news cycle, they work on ratings. And if it bleeds, it leads. And it's 24 hours. And I watch it way more than I should. But what I've realized is it's just a circle of negativity all day long.
because that's what keeps eyes on it. Nobody's talking about the positive. See, this is the thing I love about you, Billy, is that, is that you don't just breathe life into yourself, you breathe life into others, right? I mean, it, it seems to me that like, you have been this light for those around you who have been struggling with the criticism, being in the line of fire. What do you say, like, what do you say to people around you who are going through their own entrepreneurial journey when they're, when they're, when they're struggling, when they're, when they're going through failure? How do you Ooh, breathe honey. life? <laughs> honey, I, you know, I have, you will come into your valley. And my 30s was the hardest decade of my life, particularly 2007. And I talk about it in my book, and I talk about it a lot. You know, March of 2007, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, by March, I was bankrupt. And by June, I was diagnosed HIV positive. I had no work, I had no job, I had no place to stay. I was shuttling myself back to, um, you know, back and forth from Pittsburgh to New York. When I could afford a sublet, I was in New York. When I couldn't, I was living with, the, with my friends and, um, you know, my best friend in Pittsburgh. Um, and I... And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I kept setting my intention every day to believe in myself. I did my morning pages every day for can decades. You tell, can you tell people what those are? The morning pages are what Julia Cameron uh, speaks about in her, in her workbook. And it's three pages longhand every day in the morning before you do anything. And what it does is it cracks open your mind and allows for you to declutter at the beginning of the day. Just so three, pages, three pages, free form, whatever free form, comes to mind. It doesn't have to be about anything. It's just whatever comes to your mind. And what I found was It helped me hold on to my sanity at a time when my sanity was in question and my life was insane. Um, I, I don't have a blanket answer, right? I just know that you have to keep going. You know, I do a lot of mindfulness work. I meditate. Yoga was good for me. And one foot, you know, sometimes the mountain seems so high and so insurmountable. And one foot in front of the other every day, all you have to do is take one step. Every day, one thing, you know, I had a professor that said one thing if you can do one thing, just think about one thing that you can do every day to get to your goal and just do that one thing.
even if it's taking time for yourself to sit in the park and read a book. Even if it's getting out of bed and washing because you're so depressed that you can't move. Get up. Just get up. If that's all you can do, just get up. You know, it is, um, like I said, I'm so grateful that I have lived long enough to see this day of beauty and love and grace and power and inspiration. I'm grateful. And you're paying it forward, Billy. I mean, so many people feel that from you. If you, if you could go back in time and, and talk to that version of yourself when everything was going wrong, what would you have said? I did talk to myself. Every single day I spoke to myself and said, joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come. Yes, it will. I didn't mean to get so emotional today. I've got this, uh, I have this game that I play with my daughters in the morning, Billy. I, I have two daughters. I have a 10-year-old and a five-year-old. And I ask them, uh, what is the meaning of life? And they say, to find your gift. And then I ask, well, what is the purpose of life? And they say, to give it away. Yes. The meaning of life is to find your gift, and the purpose of life is to, to give it away. Yes. What, 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 do I, what do I tell them? What do I tell them when people are criticizing them? when people are holding them back? What do I, what do I say to them? How do, I, how do I be a dad in those moments? Other people don't have any power over you. Stop being concerned with what other people think or say. That's none of your business. My grandmother used to say, what other people think of you is none of your business. That ain't none of my business. That's what I live by. I so don't care. And it's weird and it's lovely. And it's like, you know, because people around me, they don't, you know, one of my, one of my, my mantras that I say to myself, cause this social media thing, we're still in the wild west with it. And, you know, it's completely imbalanced. And for me as a person who lived without it and watched it emerge and now have to live with it, it's like, I really don't care. And it doesn't mean anything. And it means everything at the same time. It's so weird. You know, it's like you can, like when I started to like, my numbers started to go up and I started to get calls to do brand partnerships because I had X amount of followers online and the money was good. The money's good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. But at the same time, it's like the same thing that, w the same tool that was used for progress. I'll just use Obama as an example. You know, the new way of communicating through social media is the same thing that's been weaponized from the other side, right? So, there's a balance that we have yet to figure out. It's coming. But my mantra is I do not now, nor will I ever, adjudicate my life or humanity in sound bites on social media. I use it as the tool that it's for, and everything else is BS. The only opinion that matters is my own of myself. That's changed everything for me. Yeah. Billy, we are almost out of time. 
we ran a poll asking everybody what they wanted to hear about. And overwhelmingly, the answer was they wanted to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. That's what they wanted to hear about. And I, and I think we didn't, even, we didn't even touch the production company that you started, the fashion partners you've had, partnerships you've made. Like you are the epitome of, of creating a renaissance yourself. We haven't even gotten into all of that stuff. But I think what we did do is we covered, I think, the heart and the soul of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I just want to say thank you for just bearing all and just thank you. being your whole self. Because and you know, I just started Incognito which is the name of my production company. And I literally just started it. It's four or five months old. And so I'll come back come when, back. when we, when I see, you know, cause that's my leap now, you know, and I want it to be 360 holistic. You know, I have a, 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 a first look deal with FX. You know, I just directed my first feature film, Anything's Possible. Wow. Uh, that's on uh, on Net, uh, Prime Video. I just directed an episode of a new television show for Fox called Accused. I have my new music. I'm, I'm starting a foundation. You know, I want to do a fashion brand. So I'm trying to now, you know, my brain is just working overtime and I'm trying to take all of the things that I have, have and harness them. So come back to me in a couple of years. We'll do this again. And it's I will good. be able to really talk about how I've been able to move the company forward, the brand of Incognito, the company forward. I love it. And we'll, we'll be tracking all that. We'll be watching your shows. We'll be watching you take leap after leap after leap while coming further and further into yourself, Billy. Thank you so much for being here. And everybody, thank you for joining thank us. You. We'll, be back. we'll be back next week for another episode. Uh, tune in, tune in next week. And Billy, thank you again. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Office Hours. You can find other can't-miss conversations and a ton of useful resources for business owners at every stage at amex.co forward slash business class. Wondering how other business leaders are navigating through the current environment? Get your questions answered by joining Office Hours, our live Q&A program where we talk with influential entrepreneurs and business experts about their experiences. Visit amex.co forward slash office hours for more information, including the upcoming schedule.